28 and getting into the book of Acts. Hey, let's do the smart thing. Let's pray real quick before we get started. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning on a cool uh, March morning, but thankful for the time just to get together to worship you, have fellowship, to learn of you. And I pray, Lord, that what we hear this morning impacts us to go out there and be a difference maker in all we do and say, Lord, help us just not to hear it, but to take it, apply it, and then live it, Lord, to truly live it. We pray for just all the other groups of believers meeting here this morning, and we just want to pray for everything going on in the back and the children's ministry. But for right here, right now, we want to learn and grow in you and your name. Amen. Hey, a couple other things I just want to remind you about. I know Renee hit it during announcements. Don't forget, after the 10 o'clock service here, informational meeting for those that would feel led to maybe get involved in the missions trip to Mexico. That's going to be back in room 6. Back in room six. Even if you don't know if you would go or not, you just want to go back and kind of see the vision of what it is, I encourage you to go back, prayerfully consider that. Also want to let you know we are planning a baptism here for the month of March. We're going to teach a lot about baptism this morning. But if you're interested in getting baptized, please see us and we'll talk about that more this morning. One last thing. If you remember correctly, last fall, we had Pastor George come out from the Ministry to Muslims Network. He's going to be coming out Wednesday, uh, March, what is it, Wednesday, March 15th. And he's going to be doing a teaching here at church of ways of reaching the Muslims. He's the guy that we went up to Dearborn last year. and We went door to door in the Muslim communities and just really got a chance to try to talk to the Muslims. So he's coming out Wednesday, March 15th. He's going to be doing the Wednesday night service on ways of reaching Muslims. And then also that Friday... We're going to be going up to Toledo and doing some outreach at some of the mosques up in Toledo. So if that's something that interests you, prayerfully keep that in mind. Pastor George will have more information coming out that Wednesday, March 15th. But wanted to let you know that about that as well. If you have any questions or ever had any questions about the Muslim faith, I encourage you to come out. Pastor George was born in Sudan and uh, just has a real heart there for the Muslims. So keep that in the back of your mind there coming up Wednesday, March 15th. But hey, we're going to be this morning in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, then going into the book of Acts. Now, we're not doing necessarily verse-by-verse teaching through the book of Acts. We're doing some of the overview of the different topics here because Jesus left us this at the end of Matthew, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even the end of the age. Jesus gave us four rules right there, if you will, of four things I should say of what he wants us to do. The first one, he wants us to go. The second one, make disciples. The third one, baptize. The fourth one, teach. So last week, we did a brief introduction to this. We covered the first two. So we talked about how in the book of Acts, they did this. What does this look like practically to do? This right here from Jesus is not a suggestion. This is what he's telling us to do. Because look at verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. As the authority of our lives, he is telling us, this is what I want you to do. First thing, go. And like we talked about last week, go do something. Not being legalistic, but being spirit-led. What you see in the books of Acts are spirit-led individuals that went and did something. Not just trying to be a busy church, not just spinning our wheels, but to spirit-led do something to say, I want to impact people for the Lord. We talked about being purposeful in how you live and how you act, looking for opportunities, letting normal daily interactions become spiritual interactions because you're open to the spirit leading and saying, I want to impact people for eternity and really represent Jesus to them. And then we talked about the idea of making disciples. We talked about how that's just not teaching But it's getting involved in their lives, their lifestyle. And that's a really interesting word there for making disciples. It means to not only teach them, 
but to teach them in lifestyle, belief, and practice, opening up every aspect of your life and saying, I'm going to represent Jesus and how I live. You will see how I live. I will see how you live. It's a lifestyle choice that opens up every aspect of your life to really impact people for the Lord. So that's what we talked about last week. Looking here in Acts, how these people actually did it. Now, with that being said, we've talked about go. We've talked about making disciples. And now we're into baptizing, verse 19. Can you go with me real quick, if you will, to Acts chapter 8? Baptizing. I encourage all believers to prayerfully consider getting baptized. It's not something you push. It's something that you have to choose that you want to do doesn't do any good to push it. It's a choice that you make to say, I want to take this step in my walk with the Lord. Because what baptism is, baptism is a picture of your walk in relationship with Christ. You've heard me teach on this before. As you go into the water, the water represents being washed, being made new in Christ. As you go down completely in the water, it represents going into the grave, if you will, dying. As you come up out of the water, it represents your newness of life, being born again. And it's like Pastor Rich likes to say, you come up looking like a drowned rat. It teaches a humbleness. People are sitting there watching you. It's a symbolic way to show you people, I should say, I'm a born-again Christian walking in the Lord. Because if I'd get up here this morning, and you don't know if I'm saved or not, and I would just stop and tell you, I'm saved, nothing would change. I'm not going to start to glow. I'm not going to start to levitate or float. I'm not. It's just words. But when I go and get baptized, I'm symbolically showing you in the world, I'm making a decision to follow Christ. And I'm going to do this publicly. You know, if we want to follow a certain team, we wear a jersey. You see that jersey, you say that person is a fan of that team. Getting baptized is a way for you to show the world, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I want everybody to know it. That's the beauty of baptism. Maybe you were baptized as a baby, and you don't know if you should be baptized as an adult. Come talk to us about that. Maybe you were baptized years ago, and you've kind of fallen away. Should I be baptized again? Come talk to us. Maybe you stop and you say, you know what, I'm doing fine spiritually, Never really been baptized, so I really don't know what's going to add to my walk. Come talk to me about it. Because what you're going to see here in the book of Acts, they're baptizing all over the place. All the time. They would get saved, and they would want to get baptized right away. Because it's the outward sign of an inward change. It's a way for them to identify with Christ. And as soon as they got saved, they said, I want the world to know I'm a follower of Christ. Now, we used to do the baptism services in the winter time here. We used to go up to the YMCA, and then that kind of didn't work out. Then we did the filling home, which was so nice to let us. But we didn't have the space. We couldn't bring a lot of people. So last year, we started doing the baptism services during the winter here. During the summer, we go over to Bill and Shirley Jones' house. They're nice enough to let us use that. It's a great time of worship, fellowship, etc. But in the winter, Rich gets a cattle trough, and he fills it with water. He does heat it, just in case you're wondering. Um, I hope you love Jesus enough that even if it's cold, you would still do it. But he does heat it. And, and we've done one up here on the stage. We've done one in the back. And we'll set it up, we'll fill it up, and we'll get baptized right here in front of the church. It's supposed to be public. I know some people, they struggle with that. This is supposed to be a public thing where you stop and you say, I'm publicly declaring what Jesus did. Please remember with baptism, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about you representing him to the world, to friends, to family, and the accountability of saying, I want the world to know I am following Christ with everything I have. I don't do this to get saved. I do this because I am saved. It's a beautiful picture. So let's see this in action. Book of Acts, chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. Let's just stop right there. 
Remember, we're talking about those four things. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. We're seeing them do this. This is not just something that they were supposed to do 2,000 years ago. This is for us today. So we talked last week about going and making disciples. What do we see right here? We see Philip going. Now, if you read the beginning of the book of chapter 8 of Acts, Philip has this amazing ministry going. Amazing ministry. People are getting saved. He's impacting people for the Lord. Amazing. Then out of nowhere, the Lord says, go, verse 26, go to the desert. That's our first word. We are willing to go when God says go. Whenever he says to do, we're willing to step out of our comfort zones. We're willing to go be spirit-led. And we're willing to do those things. So when the Lord leads you, you go. If he doesn't lead you, you don't. We talked about being purposeful last week. I purposely want to represent you, Jesus, and how I live and act. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, Monday, went up to St. V's for a uh, hospital visit. As I'm going into St. V's, you know, going driving through downtown Toledo, stop at a stoplight. And by the stoplight, there's one of the men holding a sign, homeless, need food, etc. Now, I've told you before what I like to do. I keep in my car uh, little gift cards to McDonald's or Burger King or something like that. So when somebody says they want food, I can stop, roll down my window, give it to them. So the guy, I roll down my window, the guy comes over, I say, in the name of Jesus, I give this to you. Purposefully representing Christ. Remember what it says in Matthew. Even if you give a cup of cold water in my name. So I want to represent you, Lord. I'm purposeful for that. So go to the hospital. Now, as we go to the hospital, Dawn likes to carry tracks with her in our, in our car. Little gospel tracks. And so I go into the hospital. And I thought, okay, if I'm supposed to be purposeful, I should take one of these tracks with me. And if you are interested in getting any type of tracks, we've got a display back there, back of the church. Feel free to grab some, carry a few with you. If God opens the door, hand them out. So I have one of these tracks with me, and I'm going to the hospital. And it's kind of exciting. Who am I going to give this to? So you start talking to people. No, not that one. You know, and the Lord's just not opening the door. So finally, as I'm walking out of the hospital, I'm walking beside this guy. And it's one of those that you're walking at the same pace, right? And then you get on the same elevator, and you go to the same floor. And so, Lord, you're opening a door. You start talking about, you know, just trying to bring the Lord into the conversations. You know, it's been a blessed day or something like that. You know, whether it's beautiful or whatever. And I got this track in my hand, and I'm all ready. And guess what happens? I don't give it to him. See, it's not a little bit of a letdown of a story. The point is, you've got to be spirit-led. The Lord didn't open a door. And as I'm walking out of the elevator and saying our goodbyes, you feel like this failure, and you think about just turning around and crumpling up the track, throwing it in his face and saying, Jesus loves you and run, or something like that, just to say, look what I did. The Lord didn't open a door. I was willing. I was ready. I was available. But the Lord didn't open a door. Just be spirit-led. When you go out and live your life, remember, you're just taking daily interactions and saying, Lord, I want it to be a spiritual interaction. So, Lord, I am purposeful, I am ready, I am willing, I am able, and when I leave my house or even at my house, when I answer the phone, whatever it is, I want to represent you. That's what you see them doing here in the book of Acts. So, Philip is willing. He goes to the desert. That's a big deal. He's leaving this vibrant ministry to go nowhere. So, what does he do? He rose and went. Very powerful words there. You may look at those simple five words. No, those are powerful. He arose and went. He was willing. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge over her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? 
Now, understand the culture from a couple thousand years ago. When he is in this chariot, this is not like the chariot you think of in Ben-Hur, where they're going as fast as they possibly can, and Philip is sprinting beside him. No, they're moving very methodically, very slowly. So Philip comes up beside him, and he is hearing this man reading. So what does he do in verse 30? Do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? Guys, that's what we're supposed to do. Remember last week, we talked about making disciples, and we talked about the words teach. We talked about the words teach and proclaim. Acts 5.42 says they went from house to house in the temple, teaching and proclaiming. When you run into somebody, you're available to say, Lord, I want to proclaim Jesus to you. That's what the word preach means. They don't know you, so I'm going to tell them about Christ. Now, they know you, now I'm going to teach them. What are we doing here this morning? We're teaching. Now, there's going to be opportunities this week for you to teach other believers, to encourage them in their walk. And there's also going to be opportunities for you to proclaim Jesus to people. Here, how can I unless someone guides me? We need to have enough information. We need to understand the Bible enough. When someone comes up and asks us Bible questions, we can answer. This is why we spend so much time on teaching. You know, think about this. When Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus after he had risen from the dead, the two disciples, after Jesus had left, said, Did not our heart burn within us when he taught from us the Scriptures? Listen, worship is important, fellowship is important, ministry is important, but teaching, the Bible says, is what's going to make your heart burn for more of the Lord. Teaching, when you hear the Word of God being taught, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the Word of God. Get in the Bible. If you don't understand it and you say, listen, I want to do this, I want to explain things to people, I don't get it, sign up for one of our discipleship classes. Richard's doing one here Sunday mornings. I'm doing one throughout the week. Just get together with us. Let's start talking about the basics of the faith. Can you explain what it means to be saved? Can you explain the scriptures? Let's learn and grow. Because I've noticed this. If you don't feel comfortable explaining the scriptures or teaching or proclaiming Christ, you're never going to look for opportunities to do that. You need to be able to understand God's word to be able to say, I want to represent this to people. This is why you're here. You're not here to fulfill your life. You're not here to fulfill your desires. You're here to represent the Lord. The most miserable people I know are ones that know the truth of the scriptures, but they're still living for themselves. Because they know they're never going to find peace and joy in either place. They have to be sold out to Christ to have joy. Or if they go back to the world, there's this awful conviction of the Spirit. I tell you, look at these people in Acts just living the life. Just living. Go, talk to this guy. That's what he does, verse 31. And he asked him, and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who would declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. If you're a note taker, verse 35, circle it, mark it, underline it, highlight it, whatever. This is what you're supposed to do. Open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. How simple is that? That's what we're called to do. This is what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks. Last week we spent a lot of time talking about how we let our calendar, our commitments, our responsibilities dictate our day-in, day-out life. No, I let Christ dictate my day-in, day-out life. 
Yes, you go to work. Yes, you represent the Lord there. Yes, you do a good job. But as you're going to work, you're being prayed up. You're, you're growing in the Lord. And as you go to work, you say, I'm here to represent my company by doing a good job. But I also want to represent Jesus. I'm purposeful in what I do. And then when you get home, it's not like this is my time. Lord, it's all your time. What do you want me to do today? When you get up in the morning, I'm just a vapor. So often we like to take the Lord and just let him fit into where it is convenient. It's not about it being convenient. It's about making a commitment to Christ and saying, Lord, this is all about you. Everything I do, I'm looking for an opportunity to represent you and how I live and act. If you're constantly living for yourself, you're never going to find that fulfillment. You're really not. It's about dying to yourself and doing what verse 35 says. Open your mouth and preach Jesus. Now, I can't make you do it. It's hard enough to make myself do it. Heard years ago at a pastor's conference, they said, remember, your job is to equip the church, not whip the church. I don't want to whip you guys into doing this type of stuff. I want to encourage you and say, listen, I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to live it. I have successes. I have failures. But I'm going to live it in front of you. And we're going to study these people out in the book of Acts and say, how did they do it? And then we're going to do this together and say, we're going to go out there and represent Christ. Remember the three questions we're asking ourselves. What does it look like for us as an individual? What does it look like for our family? And what does it look like for us as a church? And we want to read Acts to say, what does this look like? So he opens his mouth, preaches Jesus. Verse 36, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. So you see in the book of Acts, these people get saved, and they want to get baptized right away. They're so excited about Christ, they want to show the world that they're a follower of Jesus. So if Jesus told us to go, make disciples, baptize, teach, how does it look like for us then to baptize people? Well, I tell you this. When given the opportunity and a baptism comes up, how cool would it be for you to get into the water and get a chance to baptize someone? Now, how does that happen? It happens by going back to step one and going when God says go. Then it happens by taking step two and saying, I want to go make disciples. And then you get the privilege and honor of saying, I want to be involved with this baptism with you. Because you've been instrumental in their life of helping them grow and walk with the Lord. That when they get baptized, you say, I want to be there. And they say, I want you to do it because you've been part of my walk with the Lord. We encourage parents out here, if your child is going to get baptized, they're old enough to understand and grasp what baptism is, we encourage parents, hey, if you want to, baptize your child. It's an amazing thing. I've had the privilege, you know, as a pastor and as a father, I've been able to baptize three of my kids. I got a chance to baptize my wife, baptize my father-in-law. It's pretty cool to be a part of that. Maybe you got a, a child that's thinking about getting baptized. You can say, you know what? I want to be involved with this because I've had the privilege of hopefully discipling you in your life, and now I get the privilege of baptizing. Or maybe you got a friend that's growing and going deeper, and they want to get baptized, and you get a chance to be a part of it. That's what that means. So often when we look at baptism, we make it this religious institution of, well, that's something that the pastor does. I tell you guys, read through Acts. The church is baptizing the church. And how cool would that be if the Lord opens that door? So he gets in the water and they baptize right then, right there. And what's the result of this, verse 39? He went on his way rejoicing. I tell you, there's joy in just living it out, guys. There's so much joy in just living it out. So 
And you see baptism throughout the book of Acts. There's numerous references. I think this is one of the best ones here in Acts of the church doing this. Getting saved and then saying, we want to go do it. Can you flip here to uh, Acts chapter 2, please? Let's build on this a little bit. So we've talked about the go, make disciples, baptize. We're going to talk a little bit more about baptism. But the last one, teach. I covered teaching a little bit earlier in the lesson. Remember, teaching... It's a time of instruction. Teaching is different than making disciples. Making disciples is that time of saying, I'm opening my life to you, you're opening your life to me, and we're going to get together, and we're going to live the life with each other, encourage each other, help each other. Remember our definition from making disciples last week in the original Greek. It means in belief and practice, teaching them the lifestyle. Teaching is a moment of instruction. That's what we're doing right now. This is a moment. You're with me for about an hour. I'm with you for about an hour. We may not see each other on Wednesday. We may not see each other Sunday. I may not see you again. But for this moment, it's a moment of instruction of teaching, making disciples as we're involved in each other's lives. Both of them have a place and a purpose. What you see here going on in the book of Acts is teaching and making disciples. So let's put all four of these points together now. Here in Acts chapter 2, it's the day of Pentecost. The church is together. God opens a door. Amazing, miraculous things are happening. Peter does this amazing message. Verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What is Peter doing right there? He's teaching. He's proclaiming. He's preaching. Remember, preach means to proclaim, just tell people who Jesus is. Teach them is telling them how to go out there and live it. Verse 40, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. But verse 41, that's not bad, is it? One day, 3,000 people? I'd say that's a pretty good altar call right there. The Holy Spirit was moving. The church was ready. God wanted to grow it. And you see all these things now coming together. These disciples were willing to go when Jesus said go. These disciples were willing to go out and make disciples, get involved with their lives, which we'll get into. Baptize them, taught them, and God blessed it. And then we get to Acts 2.42. This verse, I don't know where I first heard this. I'd like to give credit where credit's due, but I don't remember where I first heard it. But Acts 2.42 is how the church is supposed to work. This is the foundational verse of how church is supposed to be built on Christ. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Five things mentioned there. If we would apply these five things to our lives as a church, as individuals, can you imagine what the Lord would do? If we were willing to stop and say, Lord, it's not just about showing up on a Sunday. It's not about taking five minutes in the morning just to do a little devotion. But if I'd really stop and say, I want to go out and live this thing, and all I do is say, what does it look like? We've covered the Great Commission. Go, make disciples, baptize, teach. Now, in Acts, how do they do it? First thing you see them doing, verse 42. Continuing steadfastly. Some of your Bibles say they were devoted. This was their life. It was not something they did on a Sunday morning. It was not something they did on a Wednesday night. It was not something they did briefly here and there. This was their life. We have lost that mindset, I think, in the church in America for most of us. Christianity is something we do. Most churches become this little country club type thing. If we spend all of our time making sure we're having fun and being comfortable, etc. The church is supposed to be God's light to a world that's dark and going to hell. 
And we're supposed to represent Jesus to them. So we need to continue steadfastly. So the first thing is, and I want to encourage you, because remember, go back. What it says there in verse 40, he exhorted them, he encouraged them. I'm not pushing, I'm not forcing. I'm asking this first question. Are you continuing steadfastly in your walking relationship with Christ? Are you devoted to it? Or is it something you kind of do? I think you know the difference. Because what we're looking for is a lifestyle of commitment. A lot of you probably were raised in a Christian home. You probably went to church as kids. And it was just something you did. There has to come a time and a place where you stop and you say, this is not something I do, this is who I am. And I want everything the Lord has in store for it. And I am devoted to this, continuing steadfastly. It's not making time for God, it's all about God. And all that I do and say. It's a commitment. And the question is, do we want this? So they continued steadfastly. Well, they continued steadfastly in the end. First one, apostles' doctrine. Teaching. They continued in the teaching. Keep your hand here in Acts 2. Just jump over two chapters, if you will, to Acts chapter 5. Look at Acts 5, verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That's what these guys did. We're going to go to the temple today and we're going to proclaim Jesus to the people that need to know Christ. We're going to get together in the evenings. We're going to get together in our houses and we're going to teach each other, encourage each other. This is what they did. And this is something that we need to stop and say, okay, I want that as well. Now, here's the thing about the Lord. He'll never push you to go deeper. He'll take you as deep as you want to go. Pushing people to go deeper doesn't do any good. When I first took over out here about 17 years ago, the best way I knew how to make disciples was to force them. I had my little harvest inquisition going on. You know, it doesn't work. People grow when they want to grow. People want to go deeper, they'll go deeper. It's our responsibility as a church is just to simply teach the Word of God simply. And then guess what? Healthy sheep will start producing healthy sheep. So we present the gospel, we present the truth, we give you opportunities to minister, serve, mission trips, outreaches, etc. You decide what you want. If you want it, it's available. I hope you do. I hope you look at your life and you say, I want more. Not legalistically, not that I have to, but, but I want more, Lord. More of you. What you see here in the church is these guys saying, I want more. Continuing steadfastly. And what do they continue in? Doctrine. Teaching. What else do they continue in? Fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship's an interesting word. Koinia. It means communion and communication. And it doesn't mean communion like you think of communica- communion with the bread and the juice. Communion with each other. Fellowship, talking to each other. Do you ever wonder why we give you a little bit of a break between announcements and the teaching? Yes, we dismiss the kids for class. But we want people to have fellowship with one another. We want them to have communion with one another. I know, we want you to talk to one another. Now here, don't get mad at me. I want you to talk to people that you may not know. Because what happens a lot during fellowship time is we talk to those people that we know. I want you to stop and say, I want to be a representative of Christ to the body of Christ. Can you imagine if you'd come into church on a Sunday and it wasn't about feed me, but how can I minister to people? Who's hurting? Who could I represent Jesus to today? 
And then it's looking around the group and saying, I want to represent the Lord to them. And then as people come up to you, you write it down like, oh, they got a doctor's appointment this week. Oh, they got something going on. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to do that. This is that building of that fellowship. Now, why don't we do this? Because it's awkward. We don't know people. We like to do our little solo Christian thing. The thing is, if you read from Genesis to Revelation, God has never designed you to be an individual Christian. You're designed to be part of a group, the body of Christ. And a lot of times, why don't we want to be part of the body of Christ? Because Christians are weird. Have you ever not noticed that? I mean, not you guys at the other churches, but they're weird. I mean, they're really weird. And Christians are rude, and Christians are mean, and Christians hurt my feelings, and Christians are egotistical, and they're legalistic, and Christians are hypocrites. Yes, 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 and yes. And when you study out the book of Acts, you see hypocrites. You see mean Christians. You see rude Christians. You see arguments. You see fights. But you also see the body of Christ learning how to deal with it. Because what happens is we stop and say, listen, if I really believe, if I truly believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, and if I truly believe that people who reject that are going to go to hell, then why in the world am I wasting my time arguing with you? There's something bigger going on here. So we need to get over this right now. I love you. You love me. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for me. Okay, let's move on. But we don't. We get hung up on little things. The longer and the more you look at eternity, the more the things of this world start to disappear. And what you see in the book of Acts, they have fights, they have arguments, but you see a group of believers that are spirit-led to say, it's about eternity. It's about representing Jesus to the world. It's not about me and my feelings and my thin skin. So they continued in fellowship. How a type of fellowship was it? It's an interesting word. Look at Acts 2, verse 1. They were all with one accord in one place. One accord. Look at Acts 2, 46, same chapter. So they continued daily with one accord. That's an interesting word. I want to read a little bit of a Greek definition of that for you. This word says it's a unique Greek word. It helps us to understand the uniqueness of the Christian community. It's a compound of two words. One word means to rush along, and the other one in unison. Now think about that. Those words almost sound opposite. Rush along, but yet in unison. The image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded which, while different, harmonize in pitch and tone. As the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master, so the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of members of Christ's church. One accord. We are individuals with individual personalities, likes, dislikes, but yet we come together in harmony as we rush along together representing Jesus Christ. That's the idea of one accord. Do we see that? Sometimes. A lot of times what we see is individuals that pop in here and there. Or we see family units that merge with other family units that they like. What God is asking us in Acts 2 is to say, listen, look past you, look past your family, and look to me. And then when you look to me, I'll take all these individual puzzle pieces, put them together, and something amazing can happen. That's what it means to be one accord. It is really difficult to do. I love Dawn more than any other person in this world. Love her. I love my five boys more than I love your kids. And I sometimes don't get along with my five boys and my wife. So if I love them more than anybody else, do you know how hard that's going to be for me sometimes to be one accord with other people? 
that I chose not to marry, that are not my biological offspring, Satan will do everything he can to make us be at war and division with one another. Because all the energy that we spend worrying about each other, fighting about each other, arguing about each other, is less energy that we have as a group to spread the gospel for Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be one accord together. What are we doing as one accord in Acts 2.42? Hey, how's this one? Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread. You get to eat together. How can you complain about this? Breaking of bread in the, in the book of Acts means two things. It means communion, but it also means meals. These guys were getting together and eating all the time. That's one of my favorite things to do as a pastor. I get to go out to eat with people. Dawn's always like, what are you doing this week? I'm going out to eat with this guy. Why? Because it's biblical. That's why. <laughs> Jesus is eating all the time in the Gospels. As we talked about last week, eating and during biblical times showed a oneness. When you ate with somebody, you were getting involved in each other's lives. So that way, when you read about Jesus eating with the tax collectors and the Pharisees, that was a big deal. He was going down to their level and saying, I want to meet you where you're at. I love getting together and breaking bread with somebody, and you get a chance to talk. How's it going in your life? How's it going? Yes, there may be conversations about sports, there may be conversations about weather, but ultimately there's a lot of conversations about the Lord. Just think about that. When you're having fellowship and breaking bread with other people, what do you talk about? I was talking to a believer recently, and I just realized as we're talking to each other how much we talk about the world, but without talking about the Lord. It's a lot of stories about work. It's a lot of stories about this. And it's like, wow, if we're both born again and saved, I don't want to legalistically say every other word of my mouth has to be Jesus. But what is God doing in your life? What is God doing in my life? How can I pray for you? How can you pray for me? Let me tell you this great testimony what the Lord did. This is what I'm reading in Galatians right now. There's this, this fellowship. Now, for some of you, it says, hey, that, that's, that's awkward. It is awkward. Why? Because we're so used to living our lives for ourselves. We're not used to this Acts mindset of continuing steadfastly devoted to the Lord. We're used to just thinking about us and the conversations we have about just nothingness. What would happen if we would truly do what Acts said? And it's awkward. Maybe you and your spouse don't have those type of conversations. They get home from work, you get home from work, and you just talk about work, and you talk about kids. What are you doing tomorrow? Maybe it's a little awkward. Maybe one of you says, hey, but what did the Lord do today in your life? You know, one of my favorite things to do is we get home from church on Sunday, and we sit around the table. I'll go around to each of my boys. Who is your Sunday school teacher? And what did you learn? And I'm telling you right now, Kenan, God bless him, my third, can never remember who his Sunday school teacher is. So if you teach Kenan, you're trying, and I appreciate that. He lives in Kenan world. He has no idea. Uh, Tyrus, my youngest, just talks about Play-Doh. So I just want to let you know, God bless you. If you're trying to tell him about Jesus, he only cares about Play-Doh right now. But the point is, let's talk about the Lord. Not force it, not half it. Remember, we're not about whipping, we're about equipping so they had this fellowship where they got together. They're breaking of bread. What else do they do? Verse 42, prayers. And we're not going to have time to get into prayer this morning. Because when you look in prayer in the book of Acts, it is all over the place. You have people praying individually. You have people praying as groups. You have people praying in small groups. You have people praying about ministry. You have people praying through tough times. They were a church that prayed. And that's what we're going to start talking about next week as we go through Acts. What does it mean to be individuals in churches that pray? Because I don't think we fully understand what prayer really is. So we're going to be getting into that next week. 
So as we get ready to close here this morning, let's just remind ourselves. Jesus said, go. Jesus said, make disciples. Jesus said, baptize. He said, teach them. That's what we want to do. What does that look like for you as an individual? What does that look like for your family? What does that look like for us as a church? And then now we take this into the book of Acts and we see them doing it. And we see this verse 42. We see this verse 42. Devoted together as one in teaching and fellowship and communion and breaking of bread and prayers. Living the life together with the good, the bad, and the ugly. But for the sole purpose of opening our mouths and telling people about Jesus. That's what matters more than anything. Hey, worship team, if you can come forward. Let's pray this into our lives, guys. Lord, we don't want to just talk about it. We want to live it. And all we do and say, help us to go where you say go. Help us to make the disciples that you've called us to make to teach them in you. Lord, we want to see people take that public step of baptism. We want to live it, Lord. And we want to not just do it for an hour. We don't want to just do it for a moment. We want to continue steadfastly devoted in it and all that we do and say. Lord, start working on our hearts just that every day is less of us and more of you. Just every day mold us more into your image. Thank you for your patience and your love as you do this, Lord. We know you're not going to force us, but you're going to gently lead us down the path Help us just today to take that small step of faith to say, Lord, more of you, less of me. We love you. We thank you. We praise you in your name. Amen.